All right, we're live. Welcome, everyone, to the third rail. I'd like to thank my last guest, Robert Noor. We had a great discussion. We didn't agree on everything, but it was good to have somebody with a different view. But the good news today, I have a new guest. Uh, he's an upcoming star on the left side of things. His name is Olake. Welcome to the show, Olake. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm glad. How's everything? Good? It's I'll good. Fight. It's good. We're in the middle of the uh, week, so I'm kind of ready to be on one side or the other, you know? I'm ready to get back. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you, uh, my first question is usually, uh, my guess is, um, where, 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 who is Oleg as a human being, as a person? Hmm. This is a good psychology talk. Uh, yeah. yeah, so for me... I don't know. I, I think for a lot of, you know, I think I had a more standard experience than I, or I'd say I had a different experience than people that normally you see on Twitch, right. Or, or YouTube, you'll often find people that sort of directly started streaming during college or like right after. And, um, you know, for me, it took a while for me to get going and to, to really start streaming, you know? And I, I think what I found is that over time, you know, it, it just started to become a place where I was doing computer science work. That's what I came from. Um, and I just realized, like, especially I think with COVID, maybe other people realize it too. Like, hey, there's there's an opportunity to be here and and to talk about the things that are interest you. And I'd always been watching, let's say, political content. I'd always been thinking about those issues, whether it's philosophy or politics, that kind of stuff. And it just made me realize, like, well, why don't I just, you know, discuss that with people? Why don't I be in the community? Why don't, you know, it maybe don't need to be huge or big or small, but the idea is just have a place where I'm actually talking to people in the community about it. I mean, where did you get your politics from? Your family or just from your school or? Uh, I mean, how, how did you become aware? Self-aware yeah, yeah. Um, so I definitely from my family. My family is very not political. They don't really know much of that stuff. Yeah. Um, school, not really. I think I just sort of picked it up along the way. I think I've always had more. I, I think for me, I, I've always liked thinking about things. I've always liked, you know, taking philosophy courses or politics courses. Like, even though I did computer science and engineering as sort of like, that's going to be the career, that's where you make the money, all of that. I, I thought to myself, you know, I'd, I'd like to at least take this part, you know, um, uh, the, the politics part. It just sort of came through that investigation, whether it was watching news or listening to people online. Yeah, it just sort of came that way. Right. Well, where do you fall on the political spectrum? So I always said to myself, like, I, so for me, it was always a change, right? Like it was a, it was a transformation of going from like, I was kind of conservative growing up where I just didn't know much about things. I kind of bought into the dogma, especially cause you know, um, as a, you know, I'll, I'll, you'll might ask this question later, but like as a, uh, part middle, part middle Eastern person, of course, like, you know, I sort of bought in more into the conservative side post nine 11, you know, it wasn't a, you know, yeah. I had to make sure, you know, had to prove, you know, you're American, all that kind of stuff. But essentially, um, yeah, I think I just I think as I see myself now, I'm probably more pretty far left, if you call it like, I don't know what that really means in a lot of ways, but more left than, let's say, the Democratic Party and probably somewhat substantially. So I'm still a realist. I like to do real politics, do real activism, but probably yeah. like in my ideal world, I'd be probably more on the left. So can I label you as a progressive? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, progressives have great ideas, like, you know, universal health care, free education. They have these, and public opinion all over the United States is always positive, like 59, 69%. But they can't sell it at the poll. This is the problem they have. So what do you think they should do? This is a problem for them. 
So there's two real huge problems at stake. One is that the left in particular has to really get over decades of dogma, decades of of every time somebody says that a thing is kind of left, they'll be like, that's communism, that's socialism, that's bad. And so you have to break through that. And I think that's actually starting to happen. The new generations, younger generations are not as dogmatic in that view. When they hear things like socialism, they don't really care so much about the word. They care about the policy itself. Now, the second big thing that really needs to be overcome right now is the fact that you do see a lot of policies that are very popular and yet there's no groundswell support. Like it doesn't translate into Senate actions or uh, uh, representative action really because a lot of them, a lot of the people that are getting elected are still part of that old guard that have that sort of corporate mindset or, you know, are more on the side that they really want to, uh, do, do well for their masters, uh, let's say their corporate overlords or whatever. So yeah. I think that those, I think the, so so in, in, in action, what you really need to do is continue this mindset of presenting policies and presenting ideas, not getting bogged down and anti-communist lingo, all that kind of trash. And yeah. then secondly, really trying to elect slowly, if it is, to get more people like, let's say, an AOC, a person who's going to be more sympathetic and get more and more of them in, because eventually they're going to sort of mainstreamize a lot of these ideas that were considered very fringe. Yeah, but, but when you asked, like the last week, you have an issue here with uh, uh, voter suppression and new laws to make it harder for people to vote. That's like a life-threatening to the uh, Democratic Party. It's like you're going to be extinct, and at the same time, you have these two senators. I could understand uh, Manchin, you know, he's, uh, the cinema is like, who started as a Green Party uh, candidate, it's like, it's okay, you could murder them. That's the end of the Democratic Party if that goes into uh, law, right? It's so frustrating when you think about it, right? Like, it's so frustrating to realize deep down, you're like, they're actually tanking the party. They're doing things that will, one, tank the party, two, lose elections. So, like, on one argument, you could say, okay, you do, like, you do the Republican thing. Just do stuff that are broadly unpopular, but because you do it, Uh, you don't get to lose anymore, right? You get to have this sort of minority rule. But this is like the weird case where you're watching the Democratic Party be like, okay, I'm going to do things that are both unpopular to the people and make it easier for us to lose so that we can't get power back, even if we win. It's just a lot of stupid stuff. So yeah, you're probably feeling the pain like I am. That was some some trash, man. I I was dying. When you saw uh, everybody and their mother, like they say, you know, came out to vote for the Democratic Party, 81 million people, black women, who I think saved the, the, the Democratic Party between me and you, because they came out in such a big number. And you're there. You have a president who has not reacted with the strength to protect those people to vote again. Because in the long run, the Republican Party has nothing to offer. They don't have no policies. Yeah, policy uh, uh, things that don't exist. CRT, it doesn't exist. Oh, oh, uh, voter fraud, it doesn't exist. And they still sell it, and they get elected. And the Democratic People uh, Party has real issues, table talk issues, like we just mentioned. You know, like a uh, uh, universal uh, PK, um, uh, what's a uh, child health? Uh, when the woman have a child and she has to go, uh, what is it called? Sick leave, what I was called. Yeah, maternity leave, maternity leave. And they can't sell it. If you can't sell that, then you're in the wrong business. And you have this uh, Republican Party. It's always about lies, like slogans, like the Tea Party movement. Like if you, I don't know how, how old you are. They had the, um, 
Yeah, we remember. So, yeah. The, yeah, the Willie Horton, Willie Horton, this black guy, and they they were on him because he was black, and he they scared the, the and they always come in with just slogans, and they sell it. Oh, Obama repeal and replace. They never did it, but still they they, they said it, and they got. It. So, what's the future of the Democratic Party or democracy itself if they don't protect the the right to vote? I mean, so the problem you're going to see is that if we're being completely honest with ourselves, yeah. what what we're watching is a stratification of. Um, so so it only ends if you keep letting things go as they do. It ends with fascism because that that's effectively what the conservative party is going for right now. I mean, they're ready to institute, let's say, the Donald Trump dictatorship or some future guy. Assume Donald Trump is just one of any number of people that are willing to do it. But what you really see, or at least what I'm starting to see, is that or what I'm kind of looking at in this case is that you have if we want to be good best case scenario what you're really seeing is the fact that the democratic party is just kind of there to do some sort of slight resistance but what they'll do is they're just going to let the republican party chip away and make it so that it still maintains this 50 50 split so more and more as the republican party is a minority of the population let's say 40 percent 35 30 percent you just chip away so that that 30 percent can offset 70 percent and then you get to maintain this institutional inertia forever. 50 votes here, 52 senators, 48 senators. This idea where you know right now there, there's projections that in 2040, you're going to have close to 70% of all Americans be represented by 30 senators. Because the majority yeah. of people, let's say, are in New York, California, whatever. Right. And it's insane when you think that because then you realize that 70%, like 70 senators represent 30% of the population. And that yeah. means that you're just stuck where you're dealing with morons, you know, I have to be honest here, morons in Wyoming who don't yeah. know anything, who have 500,000 people in their entire state telling yeah. states like one of the most uh, populous and successful states like California in the entire world, you know, the fifth right. largest economy in the world, how they need to run their country. Like it's, it, it, it begs belief, you know, beggars belief that that's actually possible. Yeah, so what you're trying to say is that we have a lopsided democracy where you have uh, urban areas with uh, tens of millions of people uh, being held hostage by uh, uh, two people in Montana yeah. and three people in South Dakota. Uh, but that's going to end badly for any democracy. It cannot, it cannot uh, hold. The so, so what ends up happening is that what you'll end up seeing is that either it goes directly into fascism because at some point you can't keep tipping the scales. The scales yeah, yeah. are already tipped. At some point, you just got to say, you know, screw it. We're done with democracy because we're going to have an oligarchical rule. Like, that's the only way. Or what you kind of see is that they essentially you pendulum back. So the idea this is sort of and I, and I don't know if I fully believe in all of this, but this is definitely what people, especially anarchists and people, you know, especially more and more far left people will definitely say is that it's just a pendulum. So, all right, they start taking away your rights, you know, and it goes over to the right side. Oh, it's getting bad. It's horrible. And then what they'll eventually do is be like, oh, the people are getting mad. All right, here, give me eight years of Obama. Give me back some rights. Give you back a little bit. And then don't worry, we're going to go all the way back on the other side again. And so the yeah. idea is that you just keep chipping away and you just leave it in this weird state. Now, we have to remember that the, the country as a whole, if we're kind of looking at it, if it doesn't go to fascism, it's generally going to move leftward. Things that were considered you know, crazy, outlandish ideas 100 years ago are commonplace yeah. a day. Like if you think about something like gay marriage or abortion, yeah. that kind of stuff. So you're probably, you're always going to see some social progress, but what you're yeah. kind of seeing in my view is that it's like, it's got to be so glacial 
that yeah. it can happen sort of under the eyes, under the vision of like oligarchs and corporations that are running things essentially. Right. right. You see, the issue we have is uh, we have uh, the, the Republican Party has scared white uh, uh, communities that they're going to lose these privileges. But when you really look at it, they don't, they, they don't have any privileges, really. They are, the majority are poor, 80%, 90% are poor. They live in uh, cities that are, uh, are not run right. The, 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 they are last in education, healthcare, these, uh, these red states, what they call. But instead of voting their political interests or their economic interests, they'll vote their color at the end of the day. Yeah. They are voting their colors. I mean, do you agree with me on that? To a certain extent, we do see that. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's very... It's an unfortunate pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're being completely honest, it's always an unfortunate pattern because we generally have populations that, and I'd say yeah. majority of Americans, are just not very politically organized. They're not politically active. For them, it's very difficult to just go vote. You know, like you would assume yeah. that that's the easiest thing you could do. So, yeah, I definitely would say that that's un- it's an unfortunate feature of having a un let's say an unmotivated sort of yeah unmotivated party uh, unmotivated uh, voting populace. Yeah, it's not okay. I want to. I want to ask you something that um, uh, uh, white America or white people they have this fear of demographic changes, and I could understand that. Even if I, uh, I mean, if I was us, if I was, uh, if the majority were Arabs like me, I would be afraid. I'm like, yo, I don't want to be a minority in my own country. Do they have the right to fear that and, and prevent that from being a minority in the long run? I mean, sh- should we under- be understandable? Of that, I mean, it's one thing I, I, we need to understand two things. It's fine to understand it. I think we should get away from the idea. Like, it's fine to understand something. It's yeah. another thing to empathize or to like sort of commiserate with their fear. And I and I actually kind of put it like this: the truth of the matter is that I would prefer to be in a country where you have shared values with the people. So it's not so much that I think it needs to be white or black or whatever. It's more that you're going to be around people that at least have some cultural bound with you that believe in some of the same things as you do. I think that's more fundamental. Now I'm going to be more, I'm actually more on the other side. I don't really mind so much. Um, I don't mind because, you know, if I'm being honest, like I'm a mixed race person, like my mom is from Afghanistan. My dad's from Chile. They came here. So they, they didn't know anything like they, they're both not American and they're both not similar to each other and yet they're together. And so for me, when I think about it, I don't have as much of that fear I, for me, I, I feel like that's the big issue is that people conflate like, oh, you're white like that because you're white, you're going to be closer to me as yeah. opposed to how do you view, let's say, democracy? How do you view politics? How do you if you've ever been to the United States and then let's say you go to China, you will see a very different culture in the way yeah. that, you know, dating works, that people work, that sort of, you know, how people go when they like when they go out and they, you know, talk to a waiter, you'll see a lot of differences. And for me, that's where I would say I see more of a difference, which is if if I were to be sort of provincial and want to, you know, yeah. be safe, I would just want to be with people that are more similar to me in that cultural aspect, not. um you know, but do, you, do you think we should have uh, some kind of control on, on the uh, of immigration instead of uh, mass uh, mass uh, uh, immigration and changing the the what, what do you call it the the the, 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 the balance of power oh. yeah, in the United States? Would it be uh, better to have this the natural growth and we could have immigration control immigration like chain uh, chain uh, immigration is okay. 
If you're an American citizen, you have. But when you have 11 million people overrunning your border, then you have an issue here. It, should we do that to assure these people that that's not going to happen? I mean, I'm uncertain if the actual immigrant, like I, here's one thing that I've always felt and I, and I, the way I've looked at it from an economic standpoint yeah. is when you look at the way that illegal immigration actually impacts the population, it's, it's fairly negligent. Like it, there's a reason why it's happening. The reason why illegal immigration is happening is because it's very economically beneficial to the power structures in this country. So we need to yeah. understand that. Like People want rolling migration. They want migrant workers doing farming. They want migrant workers. They want illegal immigrants doing work because they can be paid on the table, et cetera, et cetera. So we understand clearly that there's already an economic incentive. Now, the issue that I'm going to have here is that the prescriptions that I would give are going to be things that nobody wants to do. Like, for example, one of the ways you can potentially curb illegal immigration is you have stronger union power stronger right. worker democracy, like workplace democracy, because essentially what you'd have is workers saying, all right, we want to not hire legal immigrants. I think most people right. would probably say that's, that's a standard. It's yeah. an okay stance. So if that's a stance, well, you'd have the, com- the people in that company doing it. And the people in those company are going to be much more strict about it versus a CEO who's looking down and says, Hmm, I could pay that guy $10 an hour. Hmm, I could pay him and I don't have to give him healthcare, uh, you yeah. know, some shit healthcare, whatever. Or, I can just pay this other guy under the table. Hmm. I'm going to go do that. And so it's a much easier choice. You can see where like those economic things that I would say, which is to, you know, let's say have more unions, have more workplace democracy. If it's talking about uh, stopping outsourcing again, if you really want to stop outsourcing, you have to have the government say American companies. And look, I'm not the biggest China simp out there, but China does this all the time. If you want to look at a model, they tell people, you don't get to sell Teslas unless you build in China. Right. right guess right. what? American companies came running to do it. Ford, uh, yeah, Ford, Tesla, whatever. They've all done it. Now, oh, I yeah. ask myself the same question. You know, the United States, why aren't you doing those things? Now, a lot of people will be open borders. They don't care. They would not yeah. want to see those things. But my argument is that, if again, if illegal immigration is a problem, if people actually care about it, if conservatives care about it, yeah. why are you not doing that? rather than just sitting here trying to do these feckless, dumbass ideas like building yeah. walls and all of that, when if yeah. you build a wall, they'll just figure out a way to get around it, whether it is yeah. building tunnels or you know getting on boats or whatever you want to call it. like Somebody will find a way around it. Just break through it by actually hitting the systemic problems that make illegal immigration so profitable. See, uh, we live in a, in a capitalist society. So we are uh, profit-driven. Every 90 days, a corporation has to show profit or show something. So yeah. they always need for uh, cheap labor and consumption. So they always, they need immigration to feed that monster, to keep that capitalism. Because yeah. uh, it has to grow. It's a monster that has to grow. They don't want to stagnate. So I came up with this idea. I was thinking uh, with somebody. People come here a lot for economic reasons. They don't come here. Nobody wants to leave their beautiful country, their yeah. mountains. There. So why don't they just give them working cards? They come work. Uh, every three years, they renew it. Uh, since uh, uh, white people or white Americans are afraid of, of them becoming citizen and diluting their uh, their majority, they could just uh, uh, rotate it. Your good behavior, you pay your taxes, you go back to your country. You always be Mexican, but you always welcome to work. But you cannot become American. Is that a good model? I mean, the, the um, instead of having people. Uh, it could work. Again, it, you still have to do the other things. Like you'd have to figure out a way to disincentivize companies from going under the table anyway. So again, you'd have to punish companies that hire legal immigrants. You need to have high 
some sort of unionization because essentially the unions would be the ones that would say like, wait a second, everybody's not in a union. What's going on? Like, wait, why do you have, why is your books have, uh, let's say $10 million allocated for for uh, payroll, but our union's only getting $8 million of payroll. Like they, that's the only way that you could actually regulate and figure it out. But I, it, it makes sense. I mean, that's what was supposed to be the way, right? Which was, you give people some worker authorizations, they work, they leave. If they, when they're done, you know, they yeah. can save up a good amount of money and go back home. The yeah. problem you're going to have is, well, you know, <laughs> again, you, you really need to hit those. You need to hit it at the, at the level where there's no way to cheat that system. Because if you yeah, cheat yeah, that yeah. system, it's easy for corporations to get around it. They'll, they'll just do that. Or what they'll do is, yeah, they'll get, you know, they'll get like, um, so what, what often happens is you could just get worker authorizations, bring people in. And then just have the authorizations go down, like let them end, but keep the people there and pay them illegally, you know, right. under threat of like deportation, uh, deportation and all of that. You see, we already have a system. Like, it's called the green card. Yeah. The only thing is the green card is a, a pathway to citizenship. After five years, you can become an American citizen. If you are. The problem is the, the Constitution. There's another part. The Constitution guarantees uh, every child that's born here is a citizenship, what they call an anchor baby. Sure. They, they're gonna have, they're humans. They're eventually gonna have babies in here. So, um, like you said, I, mean, I don't know, I don't know what the, I don't know how I was going with this, but what I'm saying is that um, if we if we enforce that, the green card system just cut off the. Well, there's more of it. I mean, there's H one Bs. H one Bs are the I'm biggest. Not, I might be selfish because I already made it. I'm a citizen now. I don't want to give. Because <laughs> uh, that's what their fear is. Their fear is the democratic changes. They vote inside. Because and I, and I, it's understandable. Uh, you know, it's only human. Well, uh, my, my problem too is this. I, I have a lot of problem with the the rationale for conservatives for their anti-immigration stance because they don't want immigrants because they believe that immigrants one they don't like brown people whatever, but yeah. two that they they vote democratic. And I'm like, yeah, because the party that you have is shit. It's like, the, yeah, yeah. it's like, I, I know Muslim people. Like I, I, I know that side. They're not, if they had a choice, they'd vote probably Republican. Republican. Yeah, like yeah. they'd be the, they'd be probably your most far, far right Republicans and they can't vote for you because you literally yeah. want to like string them up and send them out of the country, you know? So right. it's just one of those things for me where I'm like, and, and even same thing with Hispanics. I mean, most Hispanics are pretty religious, you know, Catholic yeah. in general. And you're going to yeah. tell me that all these people that are coming in, what they're they're going to be Democrat by by nature of being brown, they're going to be uh, they're going to be conservative or they're going to be liberal because they what, lived in Mexico. Like, do people not understand that these countries are more yeah. conservative than America's? These yeah. people would come here, and if they actually had a real conservative party, one that wasn't like completely racist, then yeah, yeah they'd probably be voting conservative. So I, I it's kind of weird to I, see. I, it. I had the same conversation uh, uh, the last show with uh, Robert Norris. You know, he's like a, a conservative, right wing, or whatever. And I told him the same thing because I live in New York, uh, and I said uh, the Muslim community is probably 100% pro-choice. I mean, pro-life, uh, uh, socially conservative. But uh, and blacks, blacks are religious people. If you go to a Sunday to the black neighborhood, the churches are double parked, full of people in churches. Hispanics are full of the churches are full on Sundays. I see here in New York. I mean, because I drive around, it's hard to drive around on Sunday. So, but you you don't have a welcome mat. You, you know, you you shut down the door. You're like, I'm gonna die on this hill. On white grievances, keep this fear of these white people, and just use them to get elected every time and get narrower and shrink and shrink. Then gonna eventually they're gonna turn violent after a while because they can't win no cheat anymore. If they open that door, a lot of people will join the Republican Party uh, right away, easy. 
Easy. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and we should use the other example, which I kind of think about, which is the Democratic Party needs to understand that. Like, this is something that frustrates me when we look at the Democratic Party in general, which is they take it for granted. They're like, oh, yeah, these people, they're going to be, you know, with us because the party is so racist. And I'm like, you got to understand something. First of all, sometimes people will take the racism if they still yeah. want to fight for a conservative thing. So like yeah. many people will do that. We're starting to see more and more Hispanic voters realize like, sure, you know, they're, they don't like us, but, you know, I still want to do conservative things. So they go to the yeah. conservative party. And yeah. I kind of feel like this is something the Democratic Party really needs to understand, which is unless you really start doing popular things, if it is, yeah. let's say, a Medicare for all, let's say it is protecting, you know, let's yeah. say w- whatever it might be, you know, protecting voting rights, which is just broadly popular. Uh, yeah. These kind of things, if you don't do those things, then yeah. those people have no incentive to vote for you because you're just kind of a, another corporate light party. So why would they go halfway when they could just go pure, you know, conservative? Why do they have to be halfway? So the Democratic Party needs to really realize that because otherwise we're going to take a beat down because shifting demographics are just going to move people over and you're going to have this forever conservative, liberal dichotomy, 50-50 split crap. Yeah, because when I speak to people in our community here in, in New York, uh, they're about uh, law and order. They, 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 there's a lot of crime going on. Uh, uh, they let a lot of people out of jail. You know, the, the bail reform here in New York City, they had yeah. it. And, it, and right now we have shootings every day, uh, store owners, you know, Yemenis, most Yemen, I'm from the Yemeni community. So most of them own these what they call bodegas, grocery stores, and candy stores. Like five have been killed in the last six, seven months. A lot of robberies. Five police officers have been shot in New York City. So what do you, when I talk with them and we have guys and they're like, yo, the Democratic Party is a piece of, I mean, they say that in their mind, but like you said, but they talk, the Muslim ban, when they remember, they're like, where, where I'm going to go? These people put up a Muslim ban on, like they don't want to, or when Trump used to go on TV and say, Islam hate us. Yeah. At the same time, he'll go visit Saudi Arabia and beg them for money under the table and visit every, every uh, you know. So uh, uh, the Democratic people, uh, the party needs also to have some some strong law and order policies. I mean, you cannot just let everybody in jail like what they do in Los Angeles right now. I mean, we need law and order too. I mean, we need protection, right? I mean, you always have to understand that. So, I mean, again, I'm not an abolish institutions type person. Like, yeah. I'm not like an abolish prisons or abolish... Uh, you know, schools kind of thing. We need to think about actual real life, you know, real consistent ideas that are actually going to be broadly applicable to people. Uh, Sometimes I find that, you know, again, I'm, I I know a lot of leftist stuff online and I know a lot of leftist Twitter. My biggest problem with leftist Twitter right now is that there's just this literal brain rot of like, let's just say the most extreme thing. And then assume like, because you're not agreeing 100% because you live in the real world that, you know, all of a sudden you're not, you're regressive. You're not an ally. So I think you have to be realistic. I, I, again, law and order is good, right? We should, we should do those. We should do it intelligently. We shouldn't be stupid about the way that we do law and order. It's just fair for us that a lot of the policies that we often see just don't work well. And I think you've, you've highlighted the reason why, which is People care about law and order, right? Or they want to be safe. They want to feel good about their yeah. lives, all that kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, though, you'll have policy prescriptions that make things a little bit more dangerous. And yet uh-huh. nobody can vote on actual law and order because the yeah. problem is that both of the parties are, and we're going to be very clear here, mostly on the conservative side, are 100% focused on a bunch of this culture war stuff. Yeah. And therefore, you don't see policy ever get voted on. Policy can't be voted on because you literally have to vote on, well, am I going to get Muslim banned? out of this country 
that's what you have to vote against. You can't vote for actual law and order. You got to vote to just keep your footing here or to have, let's say, uh, a spouse or an, uh, like a family member come from, let's say, Yemen, for example. I know they definitely were going to get banned, too. Or yeah. for Hispanic people, if they're going to get, you know, iced out or something. So it kind of sucks. But I, I had a question. Uh, so are you in New York City, by the way? Yeah, I live in New York City. You know, see, I'm all dressed in New York City. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm not afraid. Of a lot of people, oh, you're going to get docs. Fuck it, I'm from Brooklyn. Come where? If you could come to me, it's good, huh? There's like a million people. There's millions of people there. I was like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I grew up in New York. I love New York. I will never move out of New York City. You know, you know, when you're a city dweller, you're like a rat. You know, New York City rat. That's what I am, you know. I I'm never not a city. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a suburb boy. I'm a country boy around here in Virginia, right? Oh, Virginia, yeah. I went to Florida. I went to California. I went to Tennessee. I have family in Indiana. But I still love, I love New York City. I just know there's a flavor to it, you know. Hey, get out of the way. Hey, fuck you. Beep, beep. All that noise, you know, you hear that, that you know, if you ever been to New York City. Um, the issue here, uh, uh, you know, my trains of thought has gone. I'm, oh, sorry. I'm, <laughs> no, it's all right. I mean, it's good to have a discussion. I mean, um, do you think that, that both, uh, the, both political parties are corrupt, like, in a way? Oh, uh, in a way? Yeah. Not, I mean, both not, uh, you know, uh, 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 what do you call it? Even philosophically, you know. They, oh, philosophically. They don't have nothing to offer no more. You understand? They're just bickering in Washington. And there's nothing there for us. Um, So philosophically, if we mean like the underlying aspects, probably not. But I mean, if we're talking about how these parties are currently constructed, then yes. I mean, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you need, you need only look at what we just saw at the Democratic Party, the absolute garbage that we just saw there. Like... A thing like voting reform, which is meant to solidify democracy, is being fil- is being blocked by an arcane procedure that was yeah. instituted to allow segregationists to have more power. So right. there's there's no valid there's no valid reason that you could have to support these things, and yet you're watching the party like fall over itself to do that. And so I, I think we're seeing the I, if if I'm being real here, I think we're seeing. And again, this is my you know hopium. Maybe I'm huffing some a lot of hopium here. Um, if, if I have to be real, I do think that the, the conservative party for me is dead, dead in the water right now. There's no policy. It's corrupt. It's just, it's literal fascism at this point and nobody's really fighting it. Right. There's not really a, a groundswell support for it. And you yeah. very rarely see anything change when they get into power. They pretty much have lockstep approvals on things. Yeah. On the other side that you, if we look at the democratic party, I think you are starting to see it. And right now, fine, I'll call it progressive people. But you do see at least some people out there constantly trying to push the bounds, trying to be more politically uh, consistent. So a person like an AOC, a person like Ilhan Omar, people like that, where you kind of see that, yeah, they're they're extreme. Sure. I, you know, it's fine. And, yeah. they're long, and they're extreme compared to American population, whatever. But they're also consistent. Like they're the ones saying, let's get money out of politics. They're the ones saying, let's do these voting stuff. And the problem I see is, okay, cool. Those are the people that the democratic party should probably try to emulate. But then you go look around and you're like, no, they, they don't want those people there. You're looking at like Nancy Pelosi, who's doing stock buybacks, like actually some of the most corrupt garbage in the entire uh, <laughs> um, Congress doing stock buybacks and all that kind of stuff. She's buying stocks, selling them beforehand, doing what conservatives do. And you say to yourself, well, if those are your representatives, then the party itself must be corrupt if those are your leaders. Like, if that's the best you can offer, I don't know what else to tell you. You know what they did to AOC? Remember when she voted for the uh, absent, uh, for the, what's that, for the dome? What's that, the Iron Dome, the Israeli Iron yeah. Dome? 
the problem is they, they blackmail in New York. Yeah. New York lost a congressional seat, and they're going to have a redrawn uh, of a district. She was afraid they might raise her, or they're going to put her into a different uh, set of group that are pro Israeli policy, whatever that. And it shows you what our politicians are. Even the progressives, sometimes they are, they're fearful of losing that seat in the long I mean, run. I mean, but and I want people to understand, like this is a problem that I see a lot. Is that especially on the online side, is that people will criticize AOC because they're like, oh, you know, you you back down. And it's like, listen, there's an understanding that we all need to have at least be and be realistic with ourselves. It's like we live yeah. in a real world here. You know, you and I, like we we go to work, we understand how things work. It's like you can't just do these like get. You can't just say like AOC, no, force it. Get yourself redistricted out, and then right. pray to the gods, any god that'll listen, that you could get revoted in. That your whole district is now a little tiny sliver filled with, like, let's say, as you said, 100% pro-Israel people. So you literally can't get voted there anymore. Yeah, so that's what the idea, This is why, like, I, I need to be able to be, like, understand that sometimes you do have to play the game. Yeah. It's just the problem is, or at least what we want to see out of these people is that as much as possible, are they being consistent? As much as possible, are they standing up when they can? And and I don't, I see that a lot out of the progressives. They're, they stand up as much as they can. I just feel like we're stuck because there's so many. There's 10, let's say, moderate Democratic senators that are garbage. And there's, you know, 60 whatever Democratic uh, moderates in the House that are also garbage that just pretty much offset them. Uh, do, do you think we're divided uh, uh, as a country right now? Dangerously divided? Um, sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I guess we are the age of the Internet and the age of... Uh, like 24 hour news has probably made it much worse, but I, the, the answers are there for us. Cause even if we are divided, Democrats are still winning. Like certain places yeah. are doing good stuff. Yeah. It just feels like there's an institutional problem that we have. And I, and he, I actually have my theory. The problem is actually the enlightened centrist idea. Um, yeah. It's not so much the extremists because extremists, even a person like me, who's more of, you know, biased, I'm more partisan. I'm more extreme. Yeah. It's okay. You can be extreme. The problem you have is that there's this concept in the country that being on the one side or the other makes yeah. you extreme. And that's not good that you have to be in the center, that those people that are fighting for things right in the middle are somehow inherently right. And that's the problem we have in this country is that it's not so much the division, but rather the way we look at how politics gets done. And so as people get more extreme, well, yeah. it's fine. What you do is you have a sort of push and pull of votes that are happening one way or the other. It's yeah. just, the problem we now see is that everybody says you can't govern anymore because unless you listen to those people in the middle and then those people in the middle, well, they don't really stand for anything. They're just kind of fence sitters. They just do what's being told. They're just being doing what they've been asked to do. And it ends up being that you, you keep looking to these centrist people to govern, to lead. And they, they're just doing corporate bidding. Like they're doing broadly unpopular things, whether it's to, and the child tax credit to Joe Manchin, you know, to blow up an infrastructure bill yeah, or exactly. to stop doing uh, voting rights, like do things that just literally blow up the system. And then we turn around and we're like, no, actually, the issue is the people on the extremes. It's like, no, it's, yeah. it's the people there that are supposed to lead or supposedly are supposed to lead that are doing nothing. You know, just talk about Joe Manchin. Remember when they had the COVID-19 stimulus? He was against it. But behind his back, uh, Kamala Harris went to West Virginia and spoke directly to the people. Then he got online, you know, yeah. and he negotiated that for 12 hours to make it $300 instead of $400. $400, he held back the vote. He's a piece of shit. He's a, yeah, yeah. 
he lived a yacht. And West Virginians, they all the majority are old people. They're poor. They have a lot of issue with uh, the opiate crisis. And now he ended the child credit. They need that three hundred dollars meant a lot of money to these poor people. And he'll, he'll still get voted back in there. They'll send it right back because they'll never vote their own, uh, on uh, economic interest. Yeah, not in West Virginia. He's a piece of shit, man. I really, really, you know, it's up to here with him. Um, so um, you said, um, how do how do we bring that divide together? How, how do we come as a country? Okay, I'm extreme right, you're extreme left. Where do you find common ground and play the game fairly instead of uh, the boogeyman is coming? This is the you know understand? How, how do we how do we bring that divide even a little closer to a common cause or regular political uh, discourse? Instead of all this extreme right or the extreme left? Well, I think one of the best ways to do it, and I hate to use a Jordan B. Pearson quote here, but it's this concept of cleaning your own room. But yeah. it, it feels like what we have to assume, and I, and I really do mean this, is conservatives by and large are kind of a lost cause for me. They're pretty much fascist. They're proto-fascist. They don't really care. I mean, just like honestly, go go look at what, go look at what people would be willing to accept and and just understand that like that's what that party is. I I don't know how you can reach those type of people. I think the biggest issue that I see is that there's this almost institutional level of the left gets power and then they immediately fracture. They immediately yeah. get blown up. And I think that that's why there does need to be sort of a reorganization of the left around some actual guiding principles. Like yeah. the left can't be to a certain extent reactionary. We are reactionary. In a lot of cases yeah. what the Democratic Party is today is a reactionary force against the Donald Trump party, the Donald Trump fascism, whatever that took place. And I, I look back and I say to myself, like, the problem you keep seeing is that the Democratic Party gets co-opted almost every time, every time, like, even if we're being honest, Barack Obama was a big failure in terms yeah. of the way that he came into office. He said, hope change. I remember I was in college, hope change, you know, let's, you know, let's all do it. And then he came, he came into office and then just did corporate stuff. He just came into office, bailed out the banks and didn't bail out the people. And it's like, what you realize is that there's this energy, there's this energy for real change. He had almost 60 votes, 59 in the set. Yeah. Well, he had 60 and then Joe Lieberman effed him on the uh, ACA. But the idea is that he had almost 60 votes in Senate. He had a super majority. He was ready to get going. But even then the man didn't have the will to do it. He didn't have the will to push some narrative and really, if we're being honest here, and this is the part where you're saying, how do you bridge this divide? The problem is that you need to have leaders that win, that, that that are able to capture imagination. And I'm not saying the leader is the most important part, but rather there's this groundswell of support for something. And if it's yeah. change, it's, it's improved healthcare, whatever you want to call it. You have a leader who comes in and then you have a leader who's willing to fight for the thing. And what that does is that moves the window over. All of a sudden you get those things passed. And guess what? When you actually get those things passed, you often find that conservatives, whether it was gay marriage, whether it's even like the ACA here, guess what? They can't get rid of it because it's good. They understand it. And that moves them over just a little bit to the left. And it bridges that divide. It bridges the divide so that you actually have people that it stops being this fight for, do we get rid of voting rights or all? Do we get rid of uh, healthcare, all those things? You don't have those things come up on ballots anymore because you just move people more around a, a sort of broader vision. So I see that as being something that needs to be done first in the Democratic Party. You need to get rid of this trash, the filth, as you said, the Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin, he's stuck. I mean, to be honest with you, Joe Manchin, yeah. first of all, shouldn't even be a Democrat. I mean, put him, put him in the Republican Party. Let's be honest. Yeah. 
But the idea should be that if you move people, if you have a real democratic movement, a party, people aligning on a vision, and you get out some of the garbage around there, you form a solid block, you form people that are really care about the situation, then you're able to sort of solidify around the vision. And ideally, when that leader comes in, or when, you know, there's a big groundswell movement, if it, like in a hope and change type scenario, those that really does coalesce the country. Well, uh, Joe Manchin right now, he, he's serving a purpose because if he decides to uh, give the middle finger, we're going to lose all the power in Washington. I mean, if he yeah. decides to become an independent or a non-voting, uh, and then we'll lose all the judges and all that stuff. So we're still getting something out of him, you understand? But I mean, the, the only thing he's doing right now is the judges. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I have an issue with cinema. Cinema is a totally different album. She started as a Green Party, liberal, progressive. She's kind of developed into this fucking piece of shit. Excuse me. I don't know how to say a cunt. I don't know if you can say that. Well, I mean, being real, like she's worse than Joe Manchin because at least Joe Manchin has the excuse that West Virginia is super conservative versus Arizona where she literally got censored. Literally, the Democratic Party is like, you're such trash that we are going to censure you. We're going to call you out for not doing the voting rights thing. So it's like, yeah, as you said, uh, to me, there is a special, like there's a special anger. There's a special disappointment, hatred, whatever you want to call it for Kristen Cinema, because you know very clearly that she's not doing this for any principled stand, being that she's switched parties, she's switched sort of like ideologies. She's clearly doing this because she's enjoying these four or six years. Well, what will be six years in the Senate. And then she will enjoy her post, uh, lobbyist yeah. life um you know very well she'll enjoy her nice little cushy job after that i think the worst moment i hated her is when she went like this moment when she did that yeah stupid. that stupid man that was the worst meme dude like i thought that was a joke you know like when you see it you're like oh this yeah. is, you're like oh look this this is a joke this isn't real and then you yeah, actually see all, it, she did you know like yeah, come on on people trying to get 15 dollars minimum wage if it was something else okay if it was about a different policy she tried to imitate uh, 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 John McCain. Remember when he did when he yeah. when he done uh, the uh, the repeal of the healthcare? Which uh, he did good. The only time he did good when he was dying. He knew he was dying, so he you know he had to meet his creator. He's like, oh, I gotta help these poor people. Set up <laughs> yeah, the even about. being honest, like you know, he, he that's like the one moment where he like because again, yeah. these some people, some Republicans at the time were smart enough to understand, yeah. like, wait, you know, because okay, so they campaigned repeal in place. They yeah, got elected, yeah, yeah. They, they took power. But all of a sudden they were like, wait a second. Um, oh my God, wait, we actually have to replace? Like we don't we don't have part, we don't have plans, we don't have policy. And so they're like, okay, fine. I, I know this. I, I really do believe this somewhat like deep down that like there was a contingent of the Republican Party that Joe that was telling John McCain to be the Joe Manchin there, who's like, fine, screw uh Mitch McConnell. We yeah. can't do this because if we do this. We're going to yeah, lose, yeah. you know, five, eight seats in the Senate, 10, 12 seats, whatever. So yeah. please just just vote it down for us. Hey, you're old. You're dying. Like, don't worry. We're not going to make it to your next election. I actually fundamentally believe that to myself that like that's exactly why. I mean, the only other reason is, as you said, maybe he had just one shining moment of like waking up and. He had to do. He had a, you know, he grew a conscience. You know, people, when they're sick, they're, they're about to die. They grow a conscience because, you know. Because that night I was watching too. Because my son was supposed to get like a a big operation to refix his jaw, and it's more than one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. And and it was, and I was like, you know, I don't know if it's gonna affect me or not. But once he did that, I said, I prayed for the guy to get healthy. You know, all that stuff. But uh, <laughs> you know, because twenty two million people are gonna lose their health care, yeah. especially especially those idiots. They used to be in those rallies. 
what are we going to do? Repeal. The majority are on the Affordable Care. Those, uh, you, know, yeah. they're not, they, you know, they're poor people like us. They're on Medicaid, they, man. If you're on Medicaid yeah, or Medicare, Medicaid. like those are those are government health care, you know, like. Yeah. Uh, and, and when you look at these uh, states where they oh, we got to be frugal. We don't want to increase the deficit. They're all being financed by the federal government. Like Kentucky yep. gets two dollars sixty-two cents back from every dollar sent to Washington. Yeah, all the states are. You know, people get mad from the right. They're still under reconstruction <laughs> since yeah. the 60, since since the eighteen sixties, and they always say, "Oh, we hate the federal government." Okay, why do you take their money? Yeah, That's if you hate them so bad, yeah, like if yeah. you hate the federal government so bad, why are you taking all those tax dollars for welfare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, cut it I, and I, show us the way. Show us in in yeah. West Virginia the cut welfare and show me what happens to West Virginia like in one you year. Know, not to knock West Virginia, the reason welfare was because West Virginia was uh, there's a story I read in the New York Times about you could look at it four months ago when John F. Kennedy was a uh, uh, um, campaigning he went to west virginia and he saw these people look like third world country and then he had made a promise that the first action he'll do he'll take care of the people who are poor as soon as he got elected the first executive uh order was a snap you know for the first person here was 70 dollars on west virginia this is a true story i'm telling you so these uh the the people uh uh who are living in these states are are dependent on government program medicaid medicaid disabilities a lot of issues there and they still hate the federal government, and I can't understand that. And why do they vote the way they vote? They should find common ground with poor blacks, poor Hispanics, mm-hmm. poor Arabs, because we want the same thing. We're all poor. We don't have nothing. To, uh, you understand what I'm saying? We're well, just serving the elites. One of the best, and then this is where the Democratic <laughs> Party does need to get smarter, is learning how to speak to those people. And and one of the best ways is, and West Virginia is one of the best examples of that, which is, there was this large discussion that long, I don't know if you remember back in the Hillary Clinton 2016 or something, she was like, you know, learn to code, right? If yeah. you're, you're losing coal jobs, learn to code. And, and, and let's be real here. It's what she's saying is correct. The idea yeah. is coal, whether we like it or not, 10, 20 years, as long, whatever it is, is done. It's dead. It's gone. Now, the problem is, one, she did the democratic thing of not speaking to people's yeah. where they are, but speaking to some dumb ideal or some leftist online idea, like, well, yeah. just learn, go back to college, just do this thing again. And it's it's that failure for me that the Democratic Party is really dealing with, which is they need to learn how to talk to those people, to go to West Virginia and say, listen, coal is going to die. We yeah. need to help everybody here figure out our way. We need to figure out the next way forward. Now, you don't, maybe it's as simple as saying things like, well, listen, if you lose your job, you're going to have UBI or something. You're going to, we're going to give you a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars a month so that you can be made whole again. Maybe that's the case you say. Maybe you have to just talk to people in a real way because doing this like learn to code business or, yeah. you know, bootstrap your way to freedom, bootstrap your way to success. We found something here, which is, well, if you give people in West Virginia the option, if you're like, listen, yeah. you can vote for the conservative party who's going to say, no. We're going to yeah. keep the coal mines open. We're lying to you, of course. It's going to still get closed. It's still going to get outsourced. But yeah. we'll keep it open forever, trust me. Or yeah. somebody that's saying, oh, yeah, actually, you're going to probably lose those coal mines. So you know what? Um, we're not going to actually – maybe we'll give you some money or something, a tiny bit. But uh, yeah. you got to go back to college. You got to go learn how to code. Well, what do you think those people are going to do, man? Like yeah. they're not coal mines, computer scientists for a reason. Like they're yeah. they're there in coal mines. Like that's more where they want to be at. That's more where their skill set is. 
And so you have to be able to reach those people in a more intellectual way, because otherwise they're just going to fall back on conservative stuff. Conservative stuff is it's not intellectual. It's not smart. It's just we're going to do whatever we've been doing. All right. You you were doing coal. Yeah, sure. We'll leave coal open for you. You know, it doesn't matter if that's the case or not. They'll just say it. They'll, they'll keep it the same as that. You know, in all West Virginia, there's only 12,000 coal mine jobs. There's not even a lot of jobs, uh, if you really look at it. Um, it's a dime. Yeah, we had an issue here. Amazon wanted to open its headquarter here in Queens, New York, and promised 50,000 jobs. We all were against it because we don't want the, the rent to increase. We don't want more traffic. We don't want fucking Amazon, you know, a warehouse in the middle of Queens, New York. So I was thinking, you know, one day, why don't they take, why don't you go to West Virginia and get these people off the coal mine? If you, if you was going to have 50,000 jobs, why don't you give it to these people who really need it instead of fucking dying of the black lung diseases and then I get and you understand the federal government okay Amazon do it in West Virginia we'll give you uh, five billion dollars what well, I don't tag whatever they could do to get people off the the the, the addiction to this culture of coal mine because it's a culture over there it's, it has to do with my, with a mindset of these people by the way uh, yeah you guys didn't get it but we did <laughs> so yeah oh, I, I know I know where the uh, Amazon place is it's open up like ten miles from where I no, we don't want it because we have a lot in New York City. And we, we were going to put it in the middle of Queens. It's called Long Island City. If if you drove around 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, it takes you four hours to get yeah, home. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm not doing That's one yeah. reason why, like, I you, I know you're in the city. For me, there's one yeah. reason I don't go. I don't want to be in the city, and it's that. It's, damn, I, I don't want to be driving. Yeah. I hate driving. I, I despise it. In the okay, city, I, it is. It sucks. I, I, I imagine putting fifty thousand people in that area on top of what you got. That's disastrous. Yeah. That's why AOC was against it. We was like, "What the fuck, you? We don't need you. Get out of here." But in my mind, I, you know, I was on Twitter. I said, "Amazon, why don't you go to West Virginia or go to Kentucky? Go to these uh, red states where people need." You know, Amazon is a job, but it's still, you know, it's good. Fifteen dollars they pay. That's a lot of money in West Virginia in these areas. But I, here's the thing that people need to understand about mm-hmm. that, which is. Yeah. That takes some government inter- intervention because the government has to tell. Because Amazon doesn't. Amazon, why was Amazon going to go there? Like, there's yeah. no, there's no software developers there. Like, the, the reason yeah. they come to North to uh, New York City or to where I am, which is Northern Virginia, the reason yeah. why they come here is because they can come here and there's a million people or two million people here, like where I live, and you know, eight million, whatever in New York City. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of people there, and you have let's say four hundred thousand computer scientists. So they yeah. know that they have developers here ready to go and they can attract people. Now, yeah. that's why you often need government intervention because you might need, if you want to do a policy like this, you yeah. might need the government to say like, all right, here's the thing. As much as we love, you know, the New York, Northern Virginia, whatever, if you want to, we'll do it over in Morgantown. You know, we'll do it over in uh, West Virginia, like a, another hour out or something like that, or maybe even go into the middle of Virginia rather than Northern Virginia. Um, yeah. But the idea is we will do, we will, you can have your place there and we will pay for you. You know, we'll help subsidize you. And that to me makes more sense than what we often see today, which is Amazon's like, Hey, um, New York city and, and uh, you know, Northern Virginia, you tell us how many tax breaks you're going to give us so that yeah. we can then open up our place in Northern Virginia. And so Northern Virginia yeah. says, sure, fine. We'll, pay for you and you don't have to pay for your building or whatever it is for five or 10 years, whatever, because they know that for them, it's all good. They can take the tax revenue afterward. They can yeah. take that. I mean, but it's just weird because you're subsidizing these people that, I mean, yeah. why is a corporation need that subsidization? I don't know. Yeah. We gave them the middle finger. 
<laughs> we're not getting no money. Okay, before we go, I, I, I know I want to do an hour. I know you probably got to go to work, but I, but I don't want to take. I'm so excited that you came because I like the way you talk and you're thinking and the way you deliver your. Oh, what you. do you think of uh, uh, the July 6th? Uh, uh, was it a, a coup? January 6th? Yeah, the event. What do you think? Was it a, a coup d'etat? Do you think Trump was trying to overthrow the government? It, It's hard to know. Okay, so if you ask me, okay, it is an insurrection by the terminology that it was like they came in. What, what, what else? They, they were trying to stop the election, yeah. and that's it. I mean, what, what were they going to leave? Were they going to walk home? You know, what, what was going to happen otherwise? It's very clear that by the result of what they were trying to do, it's an insurrection. Now, do I think that every single one of them was like clearly thinking through it? Probably yeah. not. Probably the majority of them weren't trying to do it. But it doesn't mean they're not insurrectionists. It doesn't mean they shouldn't be charged. And 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 that case, it's very clear to me that Donald Trump actually was trying to do an insurrection in the sense that he clearly didn't do anything. He didn't. He stopped himself from saying anything. He waited yeah. until things got totally bad, until he was being forced to go on camera. If you read a lot of the evidence that was released from the January 6th um, insurrection, yeah. a lot of the logs and everything, people are like begging the guy, like his, his daughter, like Ivanka and them, they're begging. They're like, Tell, tell Donald, like, tell this MF that he's got to stop. Like, he's got to help. He's got to say for these people to go away because they're literally doing an insurrection here. So I think Donald Trump was completely happy to see it happen. I think he was hoping. He yeah. could have hoped. By the way, like, people don't understand how close we were. The Constitution, for example, says yeah. that yeah. the election must be guaranteed, like, essentially yeah. must be validated, certified on January 6th. It doesn't right. say if it doesn't happen that it can't happen. But it doesn't yeah. say what should happen if it's not certified on the 6th. And the reason that that's important is you could see very clearly like a fascist at any point. Next time yeah. it happens, a fascist says, oh, you you storm the Capitol building and then they can't certify it on the 6th. Then the guy yeah. says, well, the Constitution said this is a red flag. It doesn't yeah. give us guidance. All right. Uh, I'm going to go send it up to the I'll send it up to the Supreme Court until right. the Supreme Court rules on it. I'm yeah. going to stay as president. And what's going to happen? You're just stuck with this guy who's cooing this government through uh, essentially inaction. And hmm, it's also really weird that Donald Trump got three of his Supreme Court justices in place. What if they decided they're going to go with him? What if yeah. he just decides, let's do this thing. All right, let's do a revote. But this time, you know, he's able to once again make the system more unfair. Maybe whatever. You keep taking these voting rights away and then you may you have a second vote. And all your people come out to vote and it turns into another boondoggle. So it's just like there's people don't understand how close it is and how fascists in general, like they often don't take power just like through the military. It's not like, you know, when the U.S. backs news in South America and stuff, they, they often do things like look at the letter of the law, leave this ambiguity and just take power and wait for election. You know, let's wait for an election for a year, for two years, for five years, whatever. You know, I have this theory. It might sound a little crazy. Um, Donald Trump, uh, he, before this happened, he was depleting the State Department. He depleted the Pentagon. Uh, you know, he was in the ambassadorship. And three weeks or four weeks before this happened, he, he fired uh, the Secretary of Defense. He replaced it with all these good idiots and all that. I think he was trying to create a, a massacre or an event. He saw those people, either they're going to get killed it's a sensitive building. If any other uh, people went, they would have been dead. Uh, or he was trying to create either a massacre, the, the, the congressional uh, people, all those people who went there. He wanted to create an event, then declare a state of emergency. That's in his mindset. It's not what's going to happen. The military was not going to do it. They're going to go beat the shit out of him. But that, I think he was trying to create that situation where uh, imagine if 200 people got killed from those people. 
because he had 535 congressional uh, uh, people in there and the vice president of the United States in that building. Well, in, the, any, the, any, yeah, in any life, they've been shot to death, you know. Uh, but I think the, the, the government didn't take the bite. They said, okay, let these idiots run around the building. We'll arrest them later. Because they didn't send the, 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 what do you call them? The, the, the National Guard and stuff, right? Yeah, they didn't send nobody. They just gave them, they said, take the building, let them take the building. I think they knew what Donald Trump was trying to do. I think he want, he sent them to die. I mean, these people don't understand that. They, they should have been killed, I mean, if, in any other uh, situation. Well, the best case scenario that you can have is that he just wanted to sow discord. So the best case scenario you can have is he wasn't trying to do a coup, but he just wanted to make himself look really good. So he's like, oh, look, they loved me so much. They died for me. Like that would have been they they cared this election. was so, And it's kind of what he's doing now, which is he he still says the election fraud stuff. He still says it and talks about how like, oh, these people are patriots. So that's the best case scenario is that. Even if he wasn't actively trying to do it, an insurrection, he was perfectly fine to let it happen so that he could stroke his own ego. And then you really have to ask yourself that if that's the best case scenario and the worst case scenario is he's trying to do an insurrection, like he's actively participating, then what's the middle? What's the middle ground if we use our line centrist idea? And that's that maybe he didn't know it was immediately going to happen. But he definitely wasn't going to stop it. He definitely wasn't going to protect the institutions. He definitely wasn't going to bring in the National Guard. He might have started seeing it was getting uh, like getting a little violent, getting a little weird. And he's just sitting there going, all right, sounds good. Hey, maybe I get to be president. I'll let it happen. I won't stop it. You know, I won't say it's great, but I, I won't stop it at least. Do you think he's going to run again? Oh, yeah. I, I think he will. I don't think there's a chance in hell. If, if Joe Biden's still running, he's 100% he's going to run against him. Um, if it's some other neo-libs shitbird, like, I don't know, Kamala Harris or something, yeah, he'll, yeah, it's yeah. Hillary Clinton's ghost, oh, dear God, he'll he'll be running right away. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, think I, I think he'll run. I, I don't think a guy like him, with the ego he has, I don't think he, I don't think he could st- not run again. I think Harris is a guaranteed loss in the future. She's guaranteed loss. She doesn't have any charisma, you know, she doesn't have any flavor. You know, when you eat food, nice food, and doesn't have salt, you're like, what, what, something is missing here. When she goes up to talk, she starts using her hand and stuff like that and start giggling. I'm like, so I should go there and train her how to talk and how to do. It she feels fake. It feels very fake. And it's. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, one thing we have to say is that there's a part of us that sometimes I think we we expect yeah. more out of female politicians than we do male politicians. Because like Joe Biden was, you know, trash too. But it's yeah. also fair to say that at least even though there might be some internalized bias on my side or that we might have towards. Uh, women politicians, it's very clear to me that like people like Hillary Clinton and Kamala yeah. Harris are just inherently off-putting. There's something about them that yeah, you yeah. just know they're fake. You know yeah. that they're just sort of dyed in the wool, like political yeah, creatures. Yeah. To me, yeah. when I look at someone like that versus versus an AOC, even versus like an Ilhan Omar, I can yeah. see a very clear difference in the way yeah. that even if, I, I mean, I agree more with them than I they would others, but like even when I look at them, I know deep down, I'm like, I'm pretty sure they believe what they're saying. Like, I think they're being serious. They have some charisma. There's something about what they're doing that makes me at least believe them versus Kamala Harris, where I'm like, I don't ever know if I believe that you believe what you're saying. Like, I don't think I'll ever trust it. And so that's, yeah, if she goes, she's a loss. She's another Hillary Clinton-like loss. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't right now. It's it's looking it's looking real dire because the best. You know, for, for people on the progressive side, right? We we all we got right here is like AOC running at like thirty five, which I still 
probably think is kind of a loss. But yeah. You know, we'll see. We'll see who pops up. You know, we got time. Anyway, don't worry. Like, people are counting all this stuff out. But be honest, like, you got yeah. two years before we even start. Uh, let's hope for the best. Anyway, uh, Elhan Omar, when she talks, she 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 holds the room together. Like, uh, you pay attention. She was saying she's very articulate. She talks and the way she speaks. And, you know, you, you have this thing that somebody's talking to you. You understand? Somebody using a hand. Anyway, uh, uh, um. Tell people where they could find you on social media. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Why don't we Why don't we do a podcast together? You know, because uh, <laughs> we can I'll, see pay for, I'll pay for everything. Uh, <laughs> well, you got the background, right? I see you got a background yeah. in your place. I had to change it, yeah, because you know I used to have those windows. I used to look green all the time. You know, I had yeah. to grow. I had to grow because uh, nobody's helping me. Uh, you know, I'm not a young kid. I don't know anything about electronics. Uh, and Dude, I have a game. Yeah, this I'm game is painful, man. This game is, right. it's tough to get anybody to, you know, like it's so hard to reach out to people. It's so hard to get responses. I'm surprised yeah. you can get some responses from like Rob yeah. Norton, these guys like, Hey, I mean, yeah. at least you're getting people to respond. Like that's a, that's a tough thing, especially in this space to have even people like, even for me, it's like a struggle every single time, you know, it's like, you think yeah. you have a good thing to say, you write an email like, Hey, you know, I'd love to talk. And it's just like crickets, you know, nothing. Yeah, but you want- you want to find something strange? Uh, every right winger, all the, the extremists, they respond right away. Yeah. I'm having an issue with the uh, with the people who think like me, the liberal part of the the the. They don't pay attention. Like, like you know the, I don't name names. You know, get them upset. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to burn up bridges. But the, I have an issue with that. Uh, remember, I used to ask you, uh, um, how do I get rid of the double sounds when I record? Remember, what do you, uh, remember I used to write on your comments, and I figure out all you need is uh, speakers. I put it on a headphone and you just talk all day and you don't have that double talk. Anyway, uh, I appreciate you for coming on. Yeah. Uh, I think you have a bright. I think you have a bright future uh, in social media. It's going to take you a while to grow because people they're like outrageous people. You see, if you came in there, yelled and screaming uh, with the hippie DB gang, whatever they, they want to call them, and all these uh, fake laughters, you would gain more traction. But I, I think you have a bright future. Whether. Uh, I, I, um, I know I don't want to sound like you know I'm putting you on the spot here, but I think you're intellectually grounded. Grounded, you know what I'm trying to say here. Okay, uh, thank that, you. Yeah, no, I anyway, thank you. So, well, I also say this. I I think it's kind of cool because I remember when I saw some of your streams earlier, and you were like, you know, remember I think you had like a really trash uh, webcam, and like yeah. compared to where you were when that was happening, like it's also cool to see because you know I think even your setup. I I think it's a fun thing, you know, if we. If, if people just like continue to talk from time to time, just like continually, um, yeah. you know, just keep commiserating, you know, working together, that kind of stuff. I think it's, it's, it's good for the channel. Like I, as much I, something I've been thinking about is like, I'd love to be big, but it's kind of painful sometimes when you think about just the way that so many people, like, I feel that they're here to grift. Like they're here to make money. They're here uh, yeah. to be big. And all they ever do is cloud chase. Like that's why they don't, you know, sometimes and we're being honest. A lot of people on the left too, like, they don't want to come talk to you unless you're giving them something. And they know yeah. that like an interview, like being honest, sometimes like yeah. an interview between two leftists probably isn't going to be the most popular thing because it's not really, it's people yeah. talking about the same ideas versus like, no, they want to get that banger, you know, go to the conservative, you know, yell at conservative, make them look stupid. And I, and I don't mind doing those. I think it's perfectly fine. It's just, you know, that deep down, I feel that a channel should be more than that. It should be the interviews with people on the left, the commiseration, doing, helping other people out, that kind of stuff as much as you can, realistically, like, you know, doing those type of things. So, you know, it's good to see that. The good things about this is I have a lot of people who have reached out out to me 
who are not on YouTube. I'm going to have a lot of guests. Remember, I had a guest, a psychiatrist about eye predator. I had a person about the drug use. I'm going to have like six, seven people who are outside the, you know, people who are uh, yeah, like professionals. Outside the online space, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, some of, some of them, they ask for money. I had a guy who wanted $40 to interview. I said, uh, even if I give you the $40, it won't feel real. You understand what I'm saying? That I had to pay to, for you to come here. You know, I felt like I had, uh, you know, I had these, uh, uh, like these real networks that I want to pay for interviews. I told him, if you want a forty dollars, I'll give it to you if you need it. But if it's for you to come, it's not going to work. I didn't have weird. It's a little weird, man, because I'm like, unless they're huge, unless you're like some movie star or something, like you can. Jay Trump, or whatever he's called himself, he has like nine thousand subscribers. He said, I, I make my living on YouTube. I said, fuck you, you make your living. $40 is going to make your living? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, uh, you know, anyway, people like us, we got to support each other because we have the same name. So. Yeah, I have to. Uh, I, you know, I'm looking for a partner like to do a podcast or anything, even once a month or every two weeks. I mean, uh, I just need somebody with energy. I don't have the energy that you have. You know, I have, you know I'm disabled and stuff like that. But anyway, I love you for coming. God bless, man. Until we meet next time. Thank you, okay? Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. See you, man. I, I really do. I support you 100%. All right, there you had it. We had the young, good-looking Oleg here. We had, we've had we been chasing him for months, and I chased him, and I love him for coming. Follow him. Uh, subscribe to his channels. Do whatever you got to do. He's a good kid, and he has a good mind. And just thank you for coming and support this uh, uh, channel here. God bless. God bless the United States. Goodbye.